0: Right. Yeah, you go ahead and say it, and I'll go ahead and delete it. You know, I ain't okay. got no choice but to. So, <laughs> okay. You know. But uh, hey, I mean, this is you know, this is street recovery. You know, uh, on today, street recovery. Uh, welcome back for one. Uh, took me what took me so long is moving in a newer office, bigger office, more space. So a lot of things uh, are going to get done. So uh, on the show this morning, yeah, it's more than me doing this. (laughs) I have uh, someone that's very special. Uh, She studied uh, clinical, uh, mental health clinical counseling at uh, Missouri. Is it University of Missouri, St. Louis? Yeah. And she also studied clinical psychology at PHSU St. Louis. Uh she's also the host of uh Convos with Anita Santiago. Uh there there she is, Miss Anita Santiago. Uh very uh very well uh well rounded person. Uh we just had a small conversation, but through the podcast, uh I've I'm going to say this. I learned a lot um viewing you on here with the people that you have uh connections with and everything. Um let the people know everything about you. <laughs> I can only say so much.
1: <laughs> well, thanks thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. Um mental health is my passion. Um, I started with um, um, a master's degree a few years ago from UMSL University, Missouri, St. Louis, with a focus in trauma. I'm from St. Louis, and there's a lot of trauma everywhere, but particularly here. And I wanted to dedicate myself to the community. While I was in my program, I realized that a master's wouldn't be enough. So I decided to pursue a doctorate and I'm um, in year five of uh, my clinical psychology studies at Ponce Health Sciences University, PHSU here in St. Louis. But um, with uh, less of a focus on trauma, but kind of pivoting to severe mental illness um, and the intersection of the legal system um, we, you know as well as I do that that mental health and the, and and police,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: often intersect. Like our jails have become the default mental health place for a lot of people. And whatever I can do to help my community be more educated or bring issues to light, that's what I'm down for. Um, I'm also a podcaster, like you. Convo's with Anita Santiago podcast on all platforms check it out um again you know just highlighting and bringing issues to the community maybe in a different way that people haven't considered um yeah i got a lot of hobbies i do a lot of things and i'm always on the move but i'm so excited to be here to talk to you about this topic today because i feel like this particular topic doesn't get enough
0: yes enough airplay or whatever and you're exactly right um street recovery uh the mental health, mental health side of uh, dealing with the street life, uh, the traumas, the abuse, uh, it's domestic violence months as well. As, as well excuse me. Um, we we overlook this uh, this part of street life, which is uh, the mental health side that uh, the abuse, the traumas and everything that carry on throughout life uh, from. Uh, these behaviors and activities, um, man. I was listening to one of your episodes with uh, Pastor Montgomery. Um, a lot of men, street life. They are we. We as man, period. But we carry this uh, along life with us. We're trained to say nothing you know, when ladies or somebody asks what's wrong, we say nothing when we're uh going through some things or uh we have this uh how do we call it? Uh we you know, this stuff that's on our mind that we can't shake. But mm-hmm. we steady say nothing is wrong. And as the you and the pastor said, when someone keeps asking them I said nothing, you know, is the response right. when um Can you explain why is it that, for one, us black males, we have that in us where we won't, you know, share what's going on with us?
1: Well, you know, there's that's a multifaceted question. Right. But let's talk about let's talk about the street life. I mean, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: the 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 intersection of what men are doing or required to do as part of that lifestyle fundamentally means you can't talk about it Mm -hmm. you know you you got to hold it close to the vest your life is on the line a lot of times every, every time you're moving around and you have a you have to pay attention to what's going on because that life requires that and even i heard one of your guests uh speaking about how after he had got out of the street life you know he had to understand that these were the things that he had done. And he carries that around in him. He doesn't really talk about it. And I think he kind of mentioned on your show, it was like the first time he was ever really talking about it. Yeah, It's not that men don't want to talk about it, but in the grand scheme of that lifestyle, do I have time to be in my feelings? Feelings can be a liability in street life. And I feel like for a lot of men, um, You're moving, you're grooving, you're trying to get this, that, and the other done, depending on what part of street life that you're in. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't lend itself to talking about it. And then we as women um, supporting our men, uh, we try to uh, uh, support them and get them to talk about them, talk about these different things they go through. How do you talk about some of the things that you're required to do as part of street life? Yeah. Yeah. You know, loose lips sink ships is what they say. And you, you're not, if you can't trust the person that you're talking to, then you absolutely can't talk about it for people who've been in street life for a long time. That creates a pattern where it's just not easy to be open.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, coming up, we've seen a lot of things happen. We're both from the inner city. Um, a lot of, I'm going to say, our classmates, you know, we see they were some of the best of the best, and then, you know, you as you go on life and you see them hanging out there and they become the worst of the worst, Um, a lot of times you see the, uh, um, the offspring of these classmates or friends or family members, I'm going to say, and... It seems like it's a repeated process uh with this type of thing. A lot of times you you look and say, well, what's what's wrong with, you know, them and that family over there? You know, is it in the DNA or is it I mean, what is it that it's a repeated process?
1: I I, I had a client one time that was explaining to me that um When he got out of jail, he was at an intersection. You know, does he go back to the streets or does he try to go legit? And what he was saying was that when he was young, um, on his block, the guy, um, and I'm just trying to, you know, Mm -hmm. summarize here, um, the guy that made sure that they ate and made sure that the block was straight, that was something that had been happening for a couple of generations and so he felt this responsibility to step into that role because the OGs were gone yeah. and you know do I take care of the block like I've been taught that's been my experience that we take care of each other because we, we all we got or do I try to go out here and um, get a trade get a job and then have see all my money go to taxes struggle and maybe not even be able to make it. And one of the things that he said that resonated, like really hit me hard. He said, you know, when he's in the streets, his family wants for nothing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Everybody, yeah. Like mama, a lot. yeah, kids, everybody's taken care of. Nobody's worried about nothing. But then when you um, come out of that life and and you try to go legit and you deal with all the different facets of being a black man, yeah. Is it worth it? And he, you know, I don't know what decision he made, but I was like, wow. You know, we we think that people just don't want to get out of that life. You have to really understand sometimes that though that that life builds community.
2: Yes.
1: And for people who never felt like they belonged or never felt like they really had family or people they can trust, that community becomes everything to them. That's why you see. Generation after generation, because this is where we safe. This is where we know we're taken care of. We ain't got to look outside of this block or this group or our community because we know at the end of the day, the people around us are taking care of us.
0: Yes. Um, what what we spoke of, me and a couple of other guys, uh, the crack epidemic, particularly. The type of uh, mental abuse that you have on yourself uh, when you finally come to terms, what did I do to my race? Um, how many guys and ladies in our community really came to terms with that, or do they acknowledge that at all?
1: well i'm going to give you my opinion um the trauma behind realizing what you've done um if you sold drugs to the community you know you've had to uh, do things that you can't speak of you've hurt people uh you've been a part of hurting people when you when you have to step into that space to realize that, how do you deal with that i mean do you, can you really ever accept that Yeah, I I think people try. I think people who want to heal from the traumatic experiences that they've had in street life want to do that. But how do I look in the mirror and and accept that and then still know that I'm a good person and I'm valuable? And what's the message that we as society give people? Well, if you've been in a gang and you've murdered people, then you're the scum of the earth. Or if you're a woman that stood by a man and you knew he was doing, selling drugs to the community, you're the scum of the earth. So the messaging we give is that there's no redemption. The messaging we give is that once you're damaged or you're contaminated, that, that that's what you're going to always be. Mm-hmm. However, that's not true. Correct. That's not true. And, and we can help people get there. But it's painful and it's hard. And a lot of times the amount of commitment to yourself that you need to walk through that process is more than people are ready for.
0: You know, I I, I listen and uh, look at what's going on over in Africa uh, for a long time now. Um, how many of those guys committed the uh, genocide and everything back in the 90s, 80s and everything? And I try to, well, not really compare it, but with what we've done over here in black America with their genocide. Uh, not, not that I'm trying to compare it, but I'm, I'm looking at, okay, genocide over there, genocide over here. Which is the greater, and you really, I'm going to say the genocide over here that we're doing, uh, because it's it's total disrespect, I think, uh, and it's total. Uh, I'm going to say, I don't know. It, it's it's just, it's not like what they're doing over there when they're committing the genocide. Not that I'm comparing them, and both of them are mm-hmm. totally wrong. They're doing it over there for specific reasons, feed the village, and it's not right. But, Mm -hmm. and i look at it over here, we can go and get jobs and things like that, but a lot of us choose to make the fast money and be a part of that life. Um, I don't know how we recover and uh, move forward knowing that the great... uh, the great genocide that we committed uh, for three, four decades or more. How do we bounce back and uh, try to get this thing together in black America, American period, but more black America?
1: Well, you bring up a really good point there. And, and let me just say like, you know, this is a broad brush, but you can also not only look at Africa, but Haiti, uh, where you have gangs that, that roam the streets that, you know, they taking out everybody. Um, when you look internationally, a lot of those conflicts are tribal and ethnic. You know, mm-hmm. this tribe and that tribe. And it, the, that conflict conflict goes back many years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: For us, I feel like it's multifaceted. Like, we have the part that, yes, we can go get jobs, but if I can make $5,000 a week, Do I really want to work for 725 Mm -hmm. and face all the discrimination and all the um, difficulties that come with that minimum wage job? No opportunity to to move up. And oh, by the way, in this economy, 725 is not going to pay a house note. 725 is not going to pay my rent. 725 is not going to put me in a car. But I can step over here and I can make more money than, than all of you professionals are you really giving me a choice do yeah. do i really have a choice and the thing that we have to understand is that while street life has its dark side there's a lot about street life that that makes it very powerful and why people gravitate to it a sense of community of belonging of family
2: yes yes
1: a sense that i'm taking care of a sense that Within my community, we have the rules that we live by, and I understand that. Mm-hmm. And I know that you got my back and I got yours. It, we don't really have that in society right now. Correct. Uh, we're disconnected. A lot of us don't know our cousins and aunts. Like back in the day, you know, you knew everybody in your family, but now not so much. So, for us to pull ourselves out of this cycle that we're in, I think about Chicago. You know, I'm in St. Louis, but Chicago is off the chain. Yeah. If we don't feel connected and we don't feel like we have community, then we we're, we're never going to be able to challenge the assumption that we can't have it. No. And that's a building process. We have to build the community we want. If we want unity, that doesn't mean we all think alike. That doesn't mean we have to act alike. It just means that we understand that we're tied together and we have a vested interest in everyone in our community, Black America, doing well, so we stick together.
0: Yeah.
1: That's how we pull ourselves out. But that but that sense of belonging when people come from places where their, fam- where their parents worked three jobs and they were never at home, or just feeling disconnected in the school system. One of the things that that you see if you look at statistics, when black men start school, when young black boys start school, they're usually really enthusiastic about school until about yes. the fourth grade. Then the fourth grade, it just turns into not a good experience. Why for is that? Them. Hmm? Why is that? I, I think that's because they start. You you know, you start running in, into some of the situations that's endemic in the education system where young black boys are marginalized, they're not uh, uh, treated um, or they're not celebrated for their brilliance. They're not encouraged to pursue their passions. They get relegated to being aggressive, ADHD, not able to sit still because they're bored and the school system doesn't cater to them. So there, So now you have these, these young boys that are disinterested in school a lot of times. Now you've got the streets pulling them. Hey, you know, well, over here you belong. Bro, we, we love you. Just like, you know, you, it's all good. Like, you ain't got to do all of that. Just come and be who you are. And so if we really want to dig out of this, we really got to figure out how to connect better.
0: Um, that right there, we're going into the youth. Uh, the most influencing things these days for our youth is the music uh I'm a hip hop head. I love hip hop, all kind uh from the beginning all the way up to now uh but the last twenty years uh this kind of hip hop that's taken over. It's really sending uh, our youngsters to a place where sometimes there's no return. Uh, I'm gonna say, and it becomes a a lost cause in some cases. How how much do you think our hip hop music has played a part in this uh, genocidal? I'm, I'm gonna keep calling it that because I think that's really what it is—a uh, process that we're, uh, you know, doing to ourselves.
1: Okay, Dale. So you look like you're in my age group. So let's go all the way back to NWA yeah. and Ice yeah. T, right when yes. when they were when rap and um, hip hop lyrics were about the gang life. On the West Coast, basically,
2: yeah.
1: Um, those songs were reflective of what those young men went through in living that life, and they were bringing it to the forefront. Why? Because it was re- it was real life for them.
2: Yeah.
1: Now today's lyrics, um, you know, still talk about those things, but a lot of people, mm, I don't want to get in trouble here, but <laughs> some some artists. Are talking about a life they've never lived correct and so it becomes a like a fiction I'm telling a story and in my mind you know that story is I'm coming down the street you know um, the Draco and and all of that and I'm going mm-hmm. out in a blaze of glory and and now the story becomes a fairy tale that young people buy into and even the women because Women, um, the lyrics around women being hard and ratchet and being as hard as their man is now something we glorify. Yeah. And we used to didn't do that. Womanhood was always seen as something um, soft and, and, and nurturing and edifying. And now it's like if you can't be turned up as much as that man that you're with or that guy you're with, then you have no credibility. And so now we've pivoted to how hard can I be as a woman? I'm, I'm, I'm saying this, this applies to the women too. Yes. How hard yes. can I be? I don't smile when I go out because I'm hard, because I wish you would, you know, because yeah. I got that edge on me, because somehow I've translated that into being what I need to be. And as a society, we've kind of been sleep at the wheel saying, well, you know, we can't really do anything about it. I tell you what, if you think you can't do anything about it, think back to when your granny was around. Mm. You know, things just did not fly. And even if you listen to what you listened to and you went where you went, when you got around certain people in your family, those expectations and those values were set. Yep. It's like, hey, I don't know what you're doing over there, but when you at my house... Yeah. You know, this is what I expect. I feel like um, having um, experience in the education system, I, I've taught college for nine years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I feel that we've as a community, because we're we're not connected anymore, we don't have a way to transmit the values. We don't have a way to transmit the expectations to people within our community. We're letting the music do it. We're letting the movies do it. And then we go, wow. I don't understand why people are like that because we as a community are not setting the standards. Do you remember when you would walk home from school and if you stepped on somebody's grass or you you were out of line, mm-hmm. you got told on or maybe even spanked by the neighbor? Yes. Then you were gonna get it from your parents Correct. and maybe some aunts and uncles, right? So this whole community surrounding you had the same expectation. Don't mess with things that aren't yours. When you go in the store, don't touch anything if you're not going to buy it. And we got that messaging across the board, mm-hmm. not just from our parents, but from grandma, from aunties, from teachers.
0: Yes, yes.
1: We don't do that now.
0: Well, So are we surprised? And and this is what I had conversations with people about. Um, we can't sit up here, a lot of the former street guys, we can't sit up here and criticize the youngsters from the things that they're doing when a lot of guys sat in the house and cooked up crack and whatever into, you know, with these with these kids in the house. So what do you expect when this kid is inhaling the crack fumes? What do you expect when... This kid see you cooking up in the house and using right there on the table. What do you expect? Um, what, what I feel, um, what we can do to redo all this thing is go back to the hood and give your time. That's it. You know, no matter what it. it is, go back to the hood and give your time. Um, my family, uh, going on 40, 40 years now, we went back to the hood, coached football, built a got a $1 million football stadium built in the heart of the projects. Never done before in this country. Uh, that's, that's just a piece of what you can do. It's, it's, it don't take a lot to go back and try to change some things. But more and more people will not come back to the hood that they destroyed and try to fix things. This is where I go, uh, what the hell is wrong with you? You destroyed it. Why can't you come back and fix it? And a lot of what we hear from a lot of people, rappers or whatever, you see what they did to Nipsey hustle or when you go back to the hood, this is what happens. Well, hell man, this is the environment you created. Now you scared to go back. Yeah.
1: And, and I think like for me personally, i um, going back to the communities I, I grew up in, you know, I went back to my high school and I mm. was a substitute teacher for two years because my high school was off the chain and, um, I wanted to show those young people that hey, this is not a label. I've um done a lot of my uh counseling work on grants and different opportunities where I could go into neighborhoods and environments where we're just having a conversation. I'm not trying to throw mental health services at you. I'm saying, "Hey, I see you." Yeah. Um and I hear you. We have um so um one of the places I worked at here in St. Louis Really high gunplay, and kids would often be in apartments with uh, members of their family who were O.D. on heroin, um, and the kids are witnessing that. And and when we damage children, they turn into damaged adults if they don't get help. So going to going into those communities and saying, "Hey, I know it's hard, I know it's tough. We don't have the answers, but I see you, and guess what?" you know we'll get there together but i see you and that's another thing like we know the street life is real why do we those of us that are not living in the hood now why do we act like it doesn't exist or it only exists right. in the music drive around any city it doesn't matter which city any city it's like going into another world the challenges are hard it's real it's a hard life I, it's just hard But if we start acknowledging that this is this is us, Mm -hmm. I'll tell you one of the easiest. I tell people all the time, if you really want to make a difference, volunteer.
0: Yes. There are
1: so many organizations here in St. Louis um, at one point. I don't know if it's still true now, but our big brothers and big sisters in St. Louis had like a three year wait. Oh, these are kids that need these are kids that need. People, good people in their lives. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you don't have to do it 40 hours a week. Go back to the school district that you came through and volunteer. One of the things that used to frustrate me as a volunteer in the school district where my son went to school was that this is a predominantly black school district. Where are the parents? Yes. Why is this the same six or 10 or 15 of us here, you know, for the last few years? Where's everybody at? And I get Some people work two or three jobs, but we've checked out of the responsibility to our community. If we want the schools to be what we want them to be, we need to be in there double checking and Mm -hmm. saying, hey, you said you were going to do this. I'm here to make sure you're doing that.
0: Yes. You Um, know, I've I've learned to do that at a uh, early parenthood stage. Uh, my kids in first grade and kindergarten, they're in there learning. I go up, I park my truck outside. I'm on the job. I park my truck Mm -hmm. outside. I go into school, sign in, and I just go walk, look in that door, see what they're doing. And they don't see me, but sometimes they did see me. And I made that a habit all the way up until they were in maybe middle school, maybe a little bit before that but they knew I would be up there to check on them. And I never, never once have I had a problem with my kids in mm-hmm. school. Uh, my kids, you know, both graduated. They didn't go to college or anything like that. But they never gave the teacher any problem, never disrespected the teacher. When you uh, apply the least, that was the least amount to do. Just take your ass mm-hmm. up there and check on these kids while they in school. Mm-hmm. Right. That way you make a relationship with the, the teachers, other parents, the security guards, whoever. Hey, I see your kid. He good. I don't. I don't, I don't never see him do nothing. And that, as a parent, is what you want to hear. Your kid never gets in trouble. But mm-hmm. a lot of us we don't do the bare minimum to go and check up on our kids. Mm-hmm. And I think that right there is what sends a, uh, a message to our children that mama or daddy don't care. Cause they never come up to the school and go on field trips.
1: Let me, let me throw this out there too. You know, shout out to all the black men that are doing their part to, be there in their families' mm-hmm. lives and their kids' lives. There are so many men that are out there yes. doing it. Yes. Um, so shout out to each and every one of you. But this is something that I've noticed um, in the communities here. There are often spaces where men used to be present where they're not present anymore.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Houses of worship, schools, um, different community activities. There used to be an expectation that you would see men there, and more and more you don't. And and I think that's because uh, part of it is societal weirdness, where you know men don't feel comfortable, or mm, yeah. um, there's too yeah. much going on. You know, I don't need no problems with people looking at me because I look aggressive, and I'm just sitting over here because I got off of work. But I feel that what you said resonated um, with me deeply because. The presence of men that children can look up to is very important. And I think we downplay that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, as single women, we can do a lot with raising kids and all that. I'm not taking away from anybody's um, commitment to being a good parent. But there is a psychological thing that happens when kids know that there are men in their lives in their community that are standing there ready yes. to protect them yes. that's a whole different feeling than i may have to as an eight-year-old feel like i gotta protect my mom and my sisters mm-hmm. because there are no men around
0: uh, and i think we that- have to think
1: about how that impacts us you know
0: well for for so long i have seen my father uh be- the uh the big brother the father figure uh the uncle to so many brothers down in the projects and all over the city not just the projects because they used to travel from all over the city to come down to this football program Mm -hmm. and here it is 30 40 years later uh my dad sometimes don't remember certain guys and they come up and give them a hug and pick them up and you know, tell them thank you, you know, for being there, uh, pushing them to be great at fo- on the football field. A lot of them never went and did anything in uh, high school or anything like that, but they say, hey, man, you saved me these little talks or whatever. And you hear this over and over again. I hear, I see the joy on my dad's face when he tells these stories. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't need no money or no such and such. Them guys coming up for me 40, 50 years ago telling me I saved a life, that's enough. Mm-hmm. The bare minimum, go and teach a kid to play a sport. Yeah. My dad wasn't a, he was an athlete, but he wasn't a football player. And he took uh, Project Kids, as they used to call us, <laughs> took it and made it uh, the Dallas Cowboys of uh, youth football <laughs> in the state. I'm going to say, but these type of things uh, can be done.
1: You mm-hmm. just, it's it's going to take
0: time. You know, uh, the mental health stage of a kid, when uh, they see this going on, uh, it sparks something. Uh, some kids, they go on to do great. Some kids, they fall victim. But a lot of those mm-hmm. kids, they go on to do great, they They learn something from a game, and my mm-hmm. you know and those yeah. men figures, and they mm-hmm. go on to do great things. excuse me um the as you said, the uh appearance of a man being there, even though it's maybe five, six months out the year that you spend time with this kid. The appearance <laughs> of a man being there that that boy or that girl never forgets. Uh, no matter what they're going through at home they can't they look forward to coming to spend time with that man that's teaching yep. them and on their butts uh you know about whatever they're doing wrong um what I'm going to say is this: a lot of us black males a man period have felt uh a lot of society um but I see a lot of us that are coming back and doing things the right way, starting within our homes, uh, because dealing with that, uh, that epidemic, uh, the last 30 years from the late seventies all the way up, that wasn't, that wasn't easy to realize that, Hey, Mm -hmm. what the hell is, you know, is this what it's all about? And you get sucked into that. Excuse me. Um, DNA, how much of this stuff is in our DNA uh, to keep, uh, I'm going to say again, putting ourselves through this uh, savagery?
1: Well, I don't I don't believe it's in our DNA. I think Mm -hmm. I believe it is social learning, though. And I think we have to normalize how we get out of this space where we just accept it. Mm -hmm. So being in mental health, you know, I'm a big proponent of therapy. I'm a big proponent of self-reflection and working on ourselves. But let me let me present something to you that a lot of people don't think about. You know, when children grow up in these environments, in these experiences where they're seeing people OD on drugs, they're trying to walk to school without getting shot, mm-hmm. um, their friends are being killed. If you look a lot, at a lot of these children, they exhibit symptoms of PTSD if you if you know and they don't have the capacity to deal with it like we do as adults we're broken the children are broken our community is broken so we have to start healing and the example you gave was great you know like sports can be a way for children to heal from some of the experiences they've been through as well as learn what a healthy relationship looks like, what it feels like to be able to operate when someone asks you to do something and you need to do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Coaching. Um, there are all these different types of experiences that we can have outside of therapy that give us kind of like that same effect. Our issue is that it's often difficult for us, like you just said, to acknowledge that this is where we're, that's this is where we're at. Mm-hmm. And we have a responsibility to push each other to a place that's better. So, for example, in the work that I do, um, I don't go around thumping people over the head. You need to go to therapy. You need to go to therapy. Hey, what's your greatest need? And do I know know a resource that I can help you with? The the practice that I'm at now, it's uh, all uh, black women, um, people of color work there dedicated to the black and brown community for people who have been in the street life or recovering from street life. There are a lot of therapists that are dedicated just to that. Um, There's a big therapist out in California. Uh, she, She goes by the handle of the trap therapist and she basically deals with people who come out of gang life. So there are a lot of people that are dedicated to helping people deal with the aftermath of being in street life, but there's also a lot of people that are dedicated to helping our community just heal. Look for those resources.
0: How do, how do one begin to heal from this? uh...
1: That, that is a, a loaded question, but what I'm going to say, generally speaking is self-knowledge is the beginning what you said earlier about having to realize what it is that i've done how i've impacted my community how that makes me feel is this something that i can reflect on and learn from it or do i feel like i really need to talk to someone about it just because you've been through trauma doesn't mean you're traumatized and just because you have problems in life doesn't mean that you automatically need therapy, but when you've been through years and years of really hard, gut wrenching situations, how do you heal from that without getting someone to help you on that journey? Nipsey Hussle is one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite artists, and he has a song in there that talks about gang initiation and what they have to do. And when I hear those lyrics, I sit back and I say, OK, so how does the person who has to do that deal with the trauma of doing that? Because in the streets, mm-hmm. it's like, well, you get rid of all your emotions and feelings, but realistically, you're still a person. You're still a person that is made up of feelings and emotions. What do you do? And I think the question and the reason we're in, at this point is because. We really don't have an answer to the question. How do you start to heal from some of that stuff? Um, my my suggestion is just what you said, acknowledging where you're at and then determining what do you feel is going to take for you to get to a place where you do feel whole. And if you do need to talk to someone, look for someone who can really understand where you're coming from and what your experiences have been. There are a lot of us that are dedicated to our community. And so you don't get judgment about being in the street life. When I worked in that program, shout out to Miss Mission St. Louis. um, When I worked with those clients, it was a no judgment zone. Like, let me just hear what you have to say and see where I can help you in this process of your journey of healing.
0: Mm. You're, you're the professional, you know, uh, you know, everything when it comes no, to this stuff. I it's, uh, but I have to ask you, uh, dealing with the numbers of, uh, kids with, uh, mental health illness, how much help is out there in the schools that are willing to, uh, well, I can't put it on the schools, but that's where a child spends most of his days,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, especially in the inner city specifically because the inner city kids go through so much. How much uh, is mental health uh, numbers or dollars or whatever are committed to the school system to help with these uh, issues?
1: Well, I think that depends on the state you live in. Um, Most schools, generally speaking, um, they have school counselors um, at the elementary level, they actually do counseling, but counselors at the um, junior high and high school levels often don't. And even here in St. Louis, many districts, if it's a high school or middle schooler, they may uh, refer that student out to an external service mm-hmm. to get the support they need. This is problematic. Our there, first of all, there's a crisis of providers for children under 10. So you think about Chicago and St. Louis, two of the highest homicides rates in the country. And you think about the impact on the children that are impacted by all these deaths. We don't have enough social workers, counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, nurse practitioners. We don't have enough people to help these children through some of what they've been through and especially in the schools where tax money's being cut mm-hmm. funding's being cut uh, when you look when you take cities like East Cleveland or St. Louis for example if you go into the affluent areas the schools are big and beautiful they have all the resources mm-hmm. you come to the inner city or communities where the tax base has been decimated not only do they not have enough education resources, they don't have enough support resources. Yeah. This is where um, people like the psychologists I work for come in, where they provide services, you know, sliding and scale, and reduce fee and reduce rate. But, you know, you have to search for it. It's like being an investigator, detective, you got to find that for your kids. Okay. I think that's a travesty, um and it's it's we should not stand for that, especially in communities where the street life isn't affecting us the most. Mm-hmm. We should be demanding that services for our kids that are living in areas where they see things that kids shouldn't see. We should be demanding there are services or ways to deal with this, um and we don't because. Well,
0: somebody will take care of it, right? Yeah, that's, you know, that's the part. We, a lot of us, we look for others to uh, fix our problems uh, in our households and in our communities instead of stepping up and doing these things ourselves. A lot of times, as you say, families got three, four jobs. And Mm -hmm. who's there to you know, spend time with the kid and support the kid. And uh, it's, we got our work to cut out. Uh, And a lot of, a lot of these kids are brilliant, you know. A lot of these kids are brilliant. They get on, you know, social media and they find a way. That's where I say social media is great because it takes a lot of these kids out of those situations. Uh, but then again, social media is the curse for a lot of these kids. But it's like, you know, what do you, what do you do? You know, uh, okay. Miss Santiago, go ahead.
1: Listen, when we've, by default, it used to be the TV. We used to sit kids in front yep. of the TV.
0: yeah.
1: And now we sit them in front of social media. Why? Because as adults, it's too much for us. It's hard for us to deal with. We don't know what to do necessarily. So we sit the kids and, you know, you go over there and do this while I'm trying to get myself together. It's indicative of what you said when we started talking. The brokenness permeates our whole society. And we should not be okay Mm -hmm. with all the information that's filtered to our young people Without any checks and balances. Yeah. And we just say, well, you know, social media, everybody's doing it. Okay, that's that's the case. But you got parental controls. Why don't yes. you use them? Yes. You've, you've got things you can put in place. But if I don't have a good sense of what my values are because I'm broken, how do I manage values for my little ones? I mean, that's a real thing. Yeah
0: you know i sit up here and uh, i listen to a lot of people's stories sometimes i say well you can overcome you can overcome that simple uh i listened to uh dr dana France's story yes quit high school yes. and go on to become uh what she is and yes. hey you know, if you, I forget what episode, go on to Convos with Anita Santiago and Dr. Fran, Dr. Fran's story, part one and part two. Listen to this woman's journey. I guarantee you, you will understand the power of a black woman. Yes. Uh, but it's like, well, for me looking at it, it's like, it's no excuse. You know, yes, there are things that happen. But if you can go and just apply and just do it, put your mind to it and just do it. It's sometimes it's not that hard, um, and sometimes
1: it's not that
0: easy. Easy, correct. correct. And I
1: was, I'm gonna say that when you're broken mm-hmm. and lost and struggling, sometimes you need someone to guide you
2: mm.
1: to doing better, and and that's where the community comes in. If I'm stuck. I can't see I'm stuck. stuck, right? but my friend can see I'm stuck and sh- she could say, Hey, you know, you seem a little stuck. Maybe you should consider something. And and then we get information. We get a different presentation. We get mm-hmm. things presented to us differently and we can say, Oh, well maybe I should try. I agree with you that we can move through difficult things. And I think we can all have a better experience. Mm-hmm. I think the, the, the difficulty is when people are stuck. Mm-hmm. I've done all this bad stuff. My life sucks. My credit is trash. I can't get no job, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And we don't have anybody saying, you know, things have been bad, but better days are ahead. Let me see if what I can plug you into that may be helpful. See, that's another thing. Talk is cheap.
2: Mm-hmm. We
1: have to do. If If you want to help someone. Find a resource, be a listening ear, be a sounding board, watch the kids while they go look for a job or something. We just can't tell people, well, you know, you should get off the streets because you you absolutely have the ability to do it. Mm -hmm. Okay, but I need a shower and a haircut. How's that going to happen? Oh, did you know there's a mobile service where you could wash your clothes and let me figure out where they're going to be? Let me pick you up, scoop you up and get you there. We have to do more doing to help people. Get through. Yes. And I absolutely agree with you. I'm cheering for everybody. Everybody in the struggle, I'm cheering for you because I've been able to witness with my own eyes, working in mental health, people transcend those things, those those challenges and obstacles this to is, get to better days. But we have to want, do it together.
0: This is why I wanted to have you on. You, you see a lot of things uh, coming through you know, your, uh, your industry. Let me ask you, what's one of the most, uh, worst moments you've seen dealing with, uh, mental health? Uh, I I know it's doctor, the privacy, everything, but Mm -hmm. what's one of the most, uh, you know, moments that disappointing moments that you've seen, uh, in that industry.
1: Okay. I'll tell you, um, you know, my, my feelings about community are very strong. I mm-hmm. feel personally that we cannot exist without community around us. And in working with the severely mentally ill clients, um, these would be clients that have severe bipolar schizophrenia. The most heartbreaking thing I ever experienced was um, a young man. He really reminded me of my son because he was about the same age. He had gone through all of these experiences because of his illness. Mm-hmm. He had gotten ill like around the age of 18 or so. And let's say now he's in his early 30s and all these experiences, instead of his, the people who knew him, family, friends rallying around him. Hey, we understand something's wrong. Let's see how we can help you he was totally abandoned. So here's this young black man with an illness that he doesn't really understand. He's stigmatized because of the label of it. In a world with no one. Can you? No one. Not a mother, not a father, not a brother, not an aunt, not a cousin, not a a friend. Not a friend. Mm. And when I realized that he was um, um, not going to be able to leave this facility. Like he didn't get better. I thought now he's facing the rest of his life being very severely ill with no one. How How in the world, coming from the experiences that black Americans have had in this country, and I'm really trying not to get emotional because this one really Got me. Mm -hmm. How do we get to the point that we walk away? Well, you know, I don't do crazy and I ain't got to be bothered with that. But they're us. They're part of us. Now, I'm not saying anybody should ever be unsafe. I'm not saying you should take on things that you literally don't have the capacity to deal with. But how do we abandon people because we don't want to be bothered? We can't we don't understand it. So I don't understand why you're in that game. So I'm going to disown you. Really? Mm-hmm. And I under, again, I understand we have to be careful and safe and all of that. But if we can't count on each other, if we can't count on family and friends, who do we have? That was probably the most sobering moment when I realized how cruel, how cruel the experience of mental health can be. This young man is trying to get better,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but he can't because the symptoms are just so bad. And there is literally no one to be there just to be there in love.
0: Sometimes that's, in his sometimes that's all it takes is for someone to be there and love that can snap a person out of it. Um, now, let me ask you the most proudest and prize winning moment that you had uh dealing with mental health uh situations?
1: Um the most uh one of the most uh uh prideful proud moments I had um is is in the current practice where I work um, healing uh um, space and psychological services in St. Louis and uh, we provide uh, a variety of services. And one time we had um, a client who had struggled um, with different things throughout his life mm-hmm. uh, only to find out that the diagnosis wasn't accurate. Oh. And so as you know, we were talking to that client um he broke down and he just felt such a sense of relief that, wow, I think you guys got it right. Like, I I understand what you're saying. And this makes more sense because this person had gone through their lives, just um, one diagnosis after another, one pill after another, never really feeling like anything ever got better. And now, you know, as a middle aged person to, to say, Oh my gosh, all of that was wrong. And now I have something that's accurate and I feel so much better. And let me tell you, I, at that moment, I was so grateful to be able to bring the expertise under, uh, you know, along with yeah, my supervisor yeah. to us, to our community, to give the kind of high quality, in-depth, complex psychological services that most of us never get and it was a game changer for this person it it was a real game game changer for them and i felt like you know this is it i'm 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 never leaving i'm gonna be here i'm here for the long haul because if i can do this over and over and over again touch one life which touches another life which touches another life yes So that was one of one of my most proud moments that that I knew I had made a difference for this man who had struggled all of his life with just different, terrible experiences.
0: Miss Santiago, what's next for you? What's uh, what you got going on?
1: Well, what's next for me? I'm I'm trying to finish. (laughs) I'm trying to finish this program. Uh, When I get done with this program, I really want to go more in-depth into helping people clarify what their diagnosis is and just be in the community, educating. I want to do a lot of educating around mental illness, what it is and what it isn't.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, I want to talk about mental health wellness. We talk about mental illness. What does it look like Mm -hmm. when we focus on wellness? Can we get to wellness? Absolutely. Like you just said. People can come up out of hard circumstances. We can get to wellness, but we don't hear that conversation. Mm. We hear, you know, well, you have this label, you got to carry it around the rest of your life. Well, how you carry it is up to you. I want to I want to talk about how we increase the quality of life for people who deal with lifelong mental challenges Mm -hmm. They need community. We 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 gotta stop being scared um, as family and friends and say, okay, w- how can I help appropriately? None of us have to do it all if we all have community. If everybody comes together around that one person, nobody has to do the heavy lift. Mm. And I believe like we can change our experience around how we deal with mental illness if we can just get the conversation going.
0: You, you, uh, you really said enough on this one. Uh, you know, I think uh, the people uh, damn sure are gonna have their uh, head full. You know, uh, let everybody know where they can reach out to you at.
1: Okay, if you want to reach out to me directly, like by email, you can email me at convos. That's c o n v o s c w s at gmail dot com. Um, if you want to catch the podcast. Now, my podcast, I don't exclusively talk about mental health or mental illness. Correct. I talk about a lot of different topics. And if you really think about it, these topics touch mental health. Yes. But uh, yes. combos with Anita Santiago podcast on all platforms. Um, And if you want to support a sister and get some merch, uh,
2: (laughs) check out my website.
1: It's yeah, I've got branded website. And I also have a reading room on my website with great books and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, My website is Life Convos. That's l i f e l i f e c o n v o s dot com. Why am I spelling it? Because I'm from St. Louis and we change (laughs) everything. So I just want to make sure you heard me right.
0: <laughs> well we'll we'll put out everything up there. So Miss Santiago, thank you. Uh keep doing great work for the people as you always been doing and we'll talk.
1: Okay. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you.